0: One small step
1: for man, one giant leap for man Colombia,
0: Colombia, And we're back. This is the Nixwell This is the Podcast. Presented by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Make sure you give them a follow at Blue Wire Pods on Twitter. But first, make sure you give Nixwall a follow on Twitter at the Nixwall. Make sure you're following the Nixwall Podcast at TKW Podcast. Joining me today, as always, my co-host, TKWOG, Whistle Sports Podfather, Kyle Maggio. Kyle, what's up, brother?
2: Uh, you know, same old same, really. I mean, it's been, what, two months since the Knicks played, roughly? Yeah, so,
0: exactly. Two months today, actually. Today's and, marks the two-month anniversary.
2: And I wanted to let everybody know, uh, I've been out in these Twitter streets, and I've noticed it's uh, pretty quiet for people noticing the Knicks haven't taken an L in two months. You know, a lot of haters and losers are out <laughs> here, not really acknowledging the lack of losing uh, on the Knicks sphere. But uh, no, no Ls in about 60 days in Knicks land, I mean, so I'm very
0: happy. If that's not positive news, I don't know what is. But doubling down on some positive news, we have a special guest today. Nick Swalrider, one of my favorite draft prospect profilers, yep. Eli Cohen. Eli, what is up?
1: How's it going, guys? I'm excited to be back. I think it's been about a year since the last time I was on the pod. So, it's a yeah, this is my favorite annual tradition now.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, I always love having Eli on and a little bit of a – context. That, so for a long time on this podcast, you guys know uh, my co-host was, aside from the the very handsome and terrific Anthony Corbo, was also Matt Spenley And Matt, uh, if you guys recall from that era of TKW, was the guy that I would argue with every single day with in Slack uh, about any and everything. It was just us arguing and then spilling that over to the pod. I'm happy to inform you guys that Matt's replacement in said Slack arguments <laughs> is our own Eli Cohen. So uh, you can imagine what sort of a conversation we will have today. It should be good. I'm excited to bring yeah. this to, to life finally again.
0: I hope, I hope it catches me off guard. Like I hope I'm not expecting an argument. It just, just gets into one.
2: That's how it happens. Yeah, a little it's, conflict, it's always, the spice of life. Yeah, I mean, that's how it always happens. It's like me and Eli are always very, uh, it's like a cohesive beginning. It's like, yeah, okay. Kind of see where you're coming from. All right. All right. Well, also, now you're fucking wrong right there and we're going to argue about it for 30 minutes. So, uh it's it's a great dynamic. I love
0: it. All right. So, in the spirit of that, I figure let's start with a polarizing topic. We're going to get to Eli's draft uh profiles in a second, but I want to talk to probably the most polarizing prospect in the 2020 class, LaMelo Ball. So, LaMelo to the Knicks has kind of been more of a fan fantasy booking Definitely. kind of thing. But lately, I I forgot who – I think I saw – Chad Ford. He said that the Knicks should make a move up, and now we're starting to hear little whispers that the Knicks might move up to make sure they get LaMelo. Elo, let's kick it off to you first. Are you in favor of that move, or do you think they should just wait and see what happens with the lottery and just wait and see how the draft comes to them versus trying to go out and force the action?
1: I mean – I love the idea of LaMelo in New York. It seems like a natural fit. You know, he's a guy who kind of has been in the spotlight since he was, what, 11 years old. So it totally makes sense. I am generally of the opinion that you should wait to see how the lottery plays out because, you know, you never know um, if you're going to get where you need to go. So I would say you got to wait until the lottery plays out, see who's ahead of you and see what they need, because otherwise you run the risk of you know, giving away assets for no particular reason. Um, and while LaMelo is a great prospect, it's not, we're not talking about, you know, a Luca, a Zion here. We're not talking about someone who I think you're going to have to absolutely break break the bank to get. So I think waiting to see how everything settles and then making the decision, like if they're going to move up for LaMelo, I think it has to be on draft night. I don't think anything else makes sense.
2: I agree with that. Um, I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense for the rumor to have even leaked this early. So I don't really get what the the point of that was. Uh, if you were, if the Knicks were truly planning on doing it, like Eli said, that's a draft day move. That's not a move up before you know what position you have leverage in type of thing. You know what I mean? It seems very, I don't know, very premature, but uh, the, the Lamelo thing does seem like a fan pipe dream of sorts. I, I think um, another point that I actually agree with with Eli there was when he said, this is not a Luca or a Zion thing. I think we sort of conflate the top pick every year with being – I'm not going to say like a generational game-changing. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's a game-changing talent, but like not in the same vein as like a Zion. So I think it's easy for folks to see, all right, well, LaMelo seems to be the clear-cut or just about a clear-cut number one type guy. That's the guy we need to get. Therefore, the Knicks got to do what they got to do to get him. And it's like I, – I can see how you get on that train of thought, but, you know, just – just pipe down a little bit. Let's be patient. Uh, there's no rush here, especially in, in 2020, as we've learned. So uh, just see what happens.
1: And also, you know, you said you said clear cut and then you sort of hedged it a little bit. And I think that that's kind of an important point. Like the fact that even though this draft is so weak, especially at the top, and he still is like not a consensus number one pick, right? Like some people have Anthony Edwards. Some people, not me personally, but some people have James Wiseman and Yeko Okungwu. There's plenty of guys, so the fact that he hasn't completely separated himself, well, I think most people would have him at least as like a consensus top two pick, but that kind of tells you that this isn't one of those situations where it's like you need to do whatever you can to get this guy or else you'll regret it, you know, forever.
0: Yeah, and the important thing to remember is the top half of the lottery, there's – out of the top five, I'm looking at it right now, three of those teams probably won't even take Lamelo. You have the Hawks who have Trey. The Cavs, I mean, they should be open to it because I think Colin Sexton stinks, but chances are they pass on a point guard. Same thing with the Warriors. They have Steph, so that's kind of self explanatory. So the Knicks could really just wait and see. I don't think a trade's actually going to be required as long as the Knicks don't drop to like nine, which I think is a pretty, I think it's actually a lower possibility than moving up to one. So more likely than not, they're picking six or seven. I'm in the Killian Hayes camp, so. I definitely don't want to move, but I do understand the appeal. I mean, Knicks have not been fun in a while. And I think you add someone like Lamella, who's not just great on the court in terms of facilitating and just doing things good on the court. <clears throat> he's also plays up to, he's a showman. So I think Knicks desperately need a franchise face. I love RJ. I don't think he is ever going to be electric. I think he's just going to be a very good player. Same thing with Mitch. I don't think on his own he's going to be anything that's going to be like, oh, I have to go see Mitch tonight. I think lamello is one of those players that you can say, all right, I'm going to go see Lamelo versus Trey. Yeah,
2: um, I agree. I agree to an extent. Um, I actually do think RJ probably – I feel like we, we are sleeping on maybe the, the electricity that he can bring when he's – like, for example, like we saw him do a number of things this year from a couple of nice step backs or – Uh, We saw the ball handling come along a little bit, or when he would get by guys, get to the rim aggressively. I do think he can be that, but I think, to your point, that also isn't a good strategy just because you'd have one of those guys. Like, the the Knicks aren't in a position, even if RJ was incredibly electric, to only have him be the guy. You know what I mean? Like, you need need a lot of things working at the same time. A lot of levers got to get pulled, and one of those levers needs to be point guard so it makes RJ's life easy. So if you have a guy – who can kind of play with that same type of energy. And I say that because RJ didn't just, you know, do offense this year. Like everybody thought he was actually a pretty solid defender in his own right, uh, right out of the gates, which surprised, I think most people, especially me and probably you guys who probably all conceded that we thought the defense was going to be pretty bad and it wasn't really pretty bad at all. So I just feel like if you give somebody – if somebody's going to be a workhorse like RJ and he's going to be pushing and 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 grinding and as aggressive as RJ, you give him like a Lamelo who's trying to get into the lanes and mix and match and make things happen. I it could work. I just feel like this is that's where we're at with the Knicks. You just got to keep giving yourself more chances, and I feel like he has the upside to do that. So yeah, I mean they shouldn't be opposed to it. It would be nice if you could pair those two together. Um, I have my concerns with Lamelo, but I have my concerns with anybody in the draft. So I would prefer to get. One of the better point guards, as always, for a position that we can never fill. Yeah, and I think what Mike said about, you know, this team just
1: desperately needs people who are fun. And I think that, like, a lot of people thought that maybe Dennis Smith could be that as, you know, the high-flying – Wow, shade you know, already. Unbelievable. This shade already. I know. Unbe- We're starting right away with it. Five minutes, man. My God. All right, hey, I'm still waiting to see. I'm, I'm hoping that he comes back next year. We can just say that this year was all a blip and just put it behind as a bad memory and keep moving forward. But, you know, it is what it is right now. But uh, this the team desperately needs people with a little bit of flash, a little substance. And uh, hopefully LaMelo with more substance than flash. But that is really the question with him, right? Is how much do the no-look passes and the fancy ball handling translate, especially if the shot takes a little while to come around, right? Because like, we have RJ, who is one of the historically like most inefficient rookies that we've seen in a while. Uh, And I think LaMelo has a very good chance to take up that mantle next year. So there are issues, like you say, but that high ceiling is undeniable. He's one of the few guys in this draft who you can really feel like can get to any spot on the court anytime he wants to, just because of how ridiculously tricky he is. So there are definitely concerns and there are, you know, there'd be a lot to work around with an RJ LaMelo pairing. There's a lot of warts there that you'd have to figure out, but at the end of the day, like every single – like you said, every single prospect in this draft has their own flaws and their own weird fits with the current team, and I don't think anyone currently on the roster is good enough to say, no, we can't take LaMelo for that.
0: Yeah, and the shooting is definitely the key point with him. My fear is right now – I mean, today they drop – news drop that the Knicks have extensively scouted Cole Anthony, who's kind of another in that star – potential basket even though he didn't really show much in UNC mostly because of poor fits and injuries but it kind of I kind of feel like they're going to go for a name this year versus just being patient and taking you know a Killian Hayes who's not known as much or a Tyrese Halliburton who may fit more with the current team so
2: wait Ma- Mike, Mike Mike yeah I'm sorry I'm sorry you just said go ahead you said the Knicks are looking for a name the knicks
0: <laughs> yeah I, anyway, wait, is, is
2: this the same knicks that just hired leon rose because of his connection to stars is this the same yeah. knicks that are rumored to be looking at cp3 the knicks are looking
0: at a name mike well this is
2: well, this is unnerving
0: <laughs> what is what do you guys think about the cp3 trade now that you mentioned that i'm kind of talked myself into it over the weeks uh, just because i know the upper, like the alternate is garbage
2: Best way I could describe it to you, and I actually really do want to hear Eli's thoughts on this extensively. Uh, best way I could describe it to you is, because I'm with you, that I've talked myself into it. Um, this exact scenario, exact scenario, came up in my group chat about a year and a half ago with my like closest friends. Um, and I remember my boy Johnny specifically said, the next trade for CP3 and then I said, why? Why would we give up any assets when he makes so much money? That's a ridiculous towards the end of his career. And he's like, well, you know, who are they going to sign the next couple of years? You know they're not going to sign anybody. You might as well get CP3 to give you good competitive basketball for three to four seasons. Help some of the young guys. And I was like, bro, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's like such 2007, 8, 9 Knicks thing. Like, stop it. And then a year later, after watching the Knicks just – just fail and fail and fail on their own via draft like just tremendously it's like you know what man why not he's right I mean it's dead money if all we're going to use the money on is Bobby Portis and Wayne Ellington and yeah I mean might as well just pay Chris Paul more money to come play point guard for a few years like like it's mostly in the context of like how bad this situation has gotten to that's made me change my mind you know what I mean it's like (laughs) Like, had had it actually been the quick-turn rebuild they had in mind, okay, cool, like, I, I would have passed. But then I always remember the Knicks aren't a normal team. So, Eli, if you want to give me your thoughts, because at this point, uh, I, I can't see how getting the jump-shooting defense playing at least knows how to win some games. Chris Paul next to RJ and, and with Mitch can hurt. I, I just cannot see it. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, you know, it always comes down in these talks
1: to, of course, what you're giving up, right? Uh, I don't think – If you're giving up a lot, if you're giving up multiple assets and maybe like future picks, then I'll get a little bit queasy. But I mean, when it comes down to it, he's got two more years at forty plus million dollars a year, so that is a tough pill to swallow. But he is, you know, that contract that last year is going to be tradable. We've seen over and over again that there is no such thing as an untradable contract, despite what people on Twitter always say. Thank you. They always call every every overpay untradable. Every year. So we know that and you know, and if he can keep this level of productivity that he had this year, then absolutely someone will take him for a single year at his thirty sixth season, just for the same reason that the Knicks are to mentor their point guard to you know, like no. the effect he would have on Mitchell Robinson would be astronomical. He would yes. like Frank Milikina, too, our, Like he would down the line, he would help every single person on that well, roster. Well, and I think the big thing also is we don't know what's gonna happen in terms of how the cap is going to drop because of, you know, everything that's happening with coronavirus for a team like OKC that has money tied up in a bunch of older guys and has a ridiculous amount of picks coming in, a lot of youth on the roster. Is that going to affect like their price that they're willing to move off of him for? And I think if that does, then they're definitely foolish not to at least, you know, start making offers.
0: Yeah, I think – that last point with the coronavirus, that was actually a report that the Knicks might actually be able to lowball OKC to an extent. Mark Berman of the Post mentioned, like, Frank in a potential CP3 trade before, you know, the coronavirus thing. Fuck that. That would be the stupidest shit I've ever heard.
2: Okay, couple couple of things here, because now I have thoughts on many things that you guys just said. One, <laughs> the CP3 to Mitchell Robinson thing is very key. Uh, if for no other reason than look at DeAndre Jordan and then Clint Capella, it makes... Too much sense, especially the rockets Rockets example, where you don't even have to. I'm not even saying that RJ is James Harden or will be or ever will be a fraction of, but the fact that you have RJ as a wing playmaker, that dynamic next to CP3 with a rim roller like RJ, like it's a familiar uh, situation. Is is my point. So that's, I would be fine with it, and my only issue with CP3 at that point is is this going to be a thing where he's playing 40 games for us a year. And then making that – like, it, for me, it's more like if he doesn't stay healthy, that's the only reason I'd be annoyed by it for that, for anyone for that much money. But from, like, X's and O's, from the standpoint of we aren't signing anybody, you know, and then from – it just makes a lot of sense. So I'm, I'm all in there. But, um, Mike, what was the last thing you said?
0: Oh, that Berman reported – Oh, the Frank, the, package, the Frank. Package before. Yeah. Why would, I mean, not just Frank. I mean, I, everyone knows I love Frank. But I wouldn't trade any of those those three key players. I would not trade them for CP three or anyone unless it's a superstar or well, this, not. Like this is a what, Mitchell.
2: This is what I wanted to ask you guys. So then, in this case, right? The the two schools of thought with the CP three trade are, well, if you're the if you're the Knicks and you have some extra picks, which they do, you can pretty easily throw in a couple of late firsts and whatever player assets they because you can basically absorb the contract, you know. So. How would you make it worth their while? Do you just sweeten it, call it a day, then that's it? And then you you lock into CP for a few years? Or do you try to play that game with OKC where I... And this is the only reason I say that about the extra picks. And it's not even because I'm saying the Knicks should be intentionally stupid. It's just... I just don't see them winning a deal with OKC. It doesn't mean don't try, but that doesn't mean I just don't see us like going in with our mindset of like, okay, we're not going to give up something of value. You know, we're not going to give up assets. You know, we're taking on the contract, so they got to dump it onto us. And it's like. In theory, yeah, but I just feel like no matter OKC doesn't do those deals, you know what I mean? Like we've seen that time and time again, like they just don't do those deals. So if you think that that's what's going to happen, we're probably not going to get Chris Paul.
0: Well, for so, what it's worth, Perry Perry did win the Mellow trade with OKC, I think.
2: Yes, well, well, that's actually a pretty decent point, but that was pretty much entirely owed to the Mitchell Robinson pick. You know, so I mean, yeah. if he does, if he doesn't hit Mitch, then we're we're, we're cooked pretty much because Cantor was in and out, and what happened to Doug McBucket. So, I mean, not that again, he he did the trade, and also he made good on the trade. So that's one of his biggest you know, W's so far, but it's like, I just don't see us for, for this deal really winning or getting too much value out of it is my point. Like, I feel like our value is like, they know our value is CP three because they know he's going to play big minutes. Like it's, it's more of like a, who you fooling kind of thing. I just don't think think we're going to be able to put it past them, you know?
1: Yeah. I think that, I mean, the fact that he had the season that he had, like if he had come in there and like been hurt or, you know, his efficiency fell off a cliff, that's one thing, but He just had a really, really good season mentoring another point guard who is like, you know, the better in every way version of Frank. There's no real incentive for OKC to be, you know, dying to get off of this, except for this, what we're talking about in terms of, you know, if the cap goes down dramatically. But they are kind of, you know, against all odds, dealing from a position of power there. Like they can just keep him on and keep eating that money, knowing that they have picks coming in every
2: single year to keep replenishing the stocks. Exactly. It's it. I don't know. It's it's tough. If I was the Knicks, I I would still do it because you guys have heard me, like the way that I talk about the CP3 trade. Honestly, at this point, isn't too far off of how I was talking about like the DLO, the DLO, or the other ones. You know, where it was like there there comes a time, at least for for the way I feel, when you start to get too many picks, and then you not that the Knicks have too many per se, but they're getting there, and it's like you got to start making a couple of moves with them and i'm fine if if they're they're actually going to commit to you know chris ball two years with rj with mitch that's the plan like when when the contract ends that's it but we're keeping them then to me it's like yeah i mean that's worth a a, a late pick or two like that's worth the mavs pick or the clippers pick like you know like that that's sort of where i start to think like yeah like as much as it'd be cool to hang on to as many of the first it's like you know if we're not making good on them year after year I'm not trying to waste 10 months of my time every single time, you know, it's like at some point you got to just, all right, I, I know what I'm going to get in this good player. I'm keeping him. It's worth it to me. We're still up in picks. We still have six more picks left. We have most of the young core. Like to me, if they can come out of any situation like that, that to me, that's a win. One yeah. I, that.
0: Oh, go
1: ahead. Oh, i sorry. I was just going to say, so, my two quick little things about that are I agree with you. Like, if we're doing, if we're talking about like this year's LA pick, absolutely put that in the deal. Don't think twice, drive to OKC, pick him up, bring him back. The one thing I would caution against is like, you know, when you talk about this year not being a year where you really need to move up into, say, like the top three or something like that, next year's draft, I would say, is probably one of those. One where if you're going to want to move up at least into the top five maybe the top three if there's any way possible 100 i would say that keeping those keeping those assets for that move might make more sense than spending it on chris paul but that is also like a huge unknown like because the the prospects at the top of next year's draft are so valuable it's going to be way harder to trade into the top of that right so you have to balance out is the opportunity to maybe make that offer going to be worth passing up whatever benefits Chris Paul at his age and at his contract can bring, which are undeniably he having someone competent running the point guard and not even competent, but like one of the best point guards of all time running this spot for the Knicks would be a huge win. Um, and just in terms of like, I do agree that you can't just keep collecting assets and say you're moving towards something, especially when you draft the way the Knicks do. But the fact that the, they draft the way the Knicks do means that like, the amount of assets they've actually collected is really pretty low compared to some of these rebuilding teams. So I, I would also caution against just being like, okay, now it's time to put the chips on the table and make some win now moves. Cause right. you know, we've got at most two to three people that we want moving forward on this roster. I mean, my, my, there's always a chance like that, like what Nick's Twitter always says that Kevin Knox turned into Brandon Ingram because he's 20, but you know, if we're playing the odds, We've got maybe two, maybe three pieces
0: right now. Yeah, I would have Mitch, RJ, Frank. Um, but this is where Leon Rose will earn his keep because he was Chris Paul's agent for so long. A, there's not many teams that could use Chris Paul with the cap space to absorb that contract. And B, force, if Chris Paul really wants to play for New York, they'll get him to New York. And I think it might require a little hardball because remember the Rockets – Try to ship CP3 around to a couple idiotic teams, including the Knicks. Couldn't get the deal, so they pretty much just flipped them for us, which was a phenomenal return. They lucked out, but they're probably looking for a couple draft picks in addition to a good player. So,
2: yeah, my thing is just more like it's not that Chris Paul is the means to the end, you know, it's like at some point you got to start showing incremental improvements as an organization, and normally that means. You draft a bunch of kids. A few of them pan out in a big-ish kind of way. Those kind, those guys are your building blocks. They lead to the wins on their own, and then you're off and running, and then you kind of fill in around them. But if that's not happening here, you kind of have to start to make that happen somehow. Like, you can't just keep fumbling. Like, the Knicks quite literally punted this season. They fell ass-backwards into RJ. They wanted to make no other serious moves. They signed whatever C-list eight free agents they could sign, a couple of lower B-tier guys if you make the case for – Mook and Randall probably, and that that was it. It was just let's just sign whoever we can and call it a day. They didn't really care about the roster fit, as you can tell. So to me, it's like, so if you're not really building the roster the right way and you're not really drafting the roster the right way, what what are we doing? You know, it's like, so if we have two bona fide pieces, you know, you could build around. It's like a CP three. Yeah, I mean, he's not the long term, you know, answer obviously, or even really the short term answer if. We don't really know what his health is going to look like the next few years, but I'm going to take that chance in the sense that like that's how you start to build the identity and then get a couple of other guys in around him. Because the real the real scenario here is the Knicks are going to end up drafting what like six this year. We're not going to get Lamelo, right? And then and then if we don't get CP3, what are we doing?
0: Cole Anthony? It's probably going to be Cole Anthony. <laughs> yeah, you know what I <laughs> mean. And Cole then Anthony.
2: and then and then we're having another purgatory type season. It didn't go well. Who are we looking for in 2020? And you know, and then we all know how the cycle goes. You know what I mean? So it's like, it doesn't, we often debate the extremes when it's usually somewhere in the middle. And that's usually what I'm basing my opinion off of. It's, it never really works out with the lottery, right? Like we wanted Zion and didn't work out. We got RJ and I think there's a lot of things to love about RJ going forward, but he's not Zion. We all know that the impact is clearly different as is the future outlook here. So it's just – it's always like we got to think about the the actual context of what happens, and it doesn't mean be doom and gloom, but it's like that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah,
0: it's kind of a show and prove. So Perry has to prove he can pick a non-consensus player because RJ was kind of like, duh, who else are you going to take at three in a three-player draft at the top? So I want to see what he does. I'm very interested in this draft because we've covered this is a weak class, and beyond it being – "Quote unquote weak." There's just you can't. There's a star here, and we're gonna get to a possible star in a moment. But you gotta go out of your way to find it. So if Perry proves he can find a good player and select, make a good selection, then you can start talking about you know moving the chips into a certain move because at least we know he knows what he's doing.
2: But if they if they get a Lamelo or something, then my stance is gonna be totally different. You know what I mean? But it's like I'm just operating out of the reality, like we get the sixth pick, Perry takes a weird swing. We're like, all right, well, I guess. And then we're back to having the the, uh, 2019, 2020 season again. And I just don't want, just at least give me like something easy to try to like chomp down on, you know, like at least let me look at LaMelo and go, okay, I can, I get the gist of this or, Oh, okay. CP3. I know what to expect. Like this aimless wandering thing. And just in, in the name of like keeping the assets or, or, you know, keeping them retained moving forward. It's like, I feel like we can only punt so many years because then it's like, is that really worth having just punted this past season and this one upcoming?
0: Well, these aren't planned punts, don't forget, because they're not planned. I don't but care what they say. Last year was not. They planned for Kevin Durant, and at some point, they fumbled the bag. So they keep on having their toe in the rebuild pool publicly, but privately they're always plotting. I feel for that big move. Like Anthony Davis is probably going to be the new person we chase until he signs the big deal, then it's Giannis, and then it's Booker, and then it's Kat, and then it's Kate Cunningham, and then it just keeps going on and on, like you said. I, I, it's guess, on day. I,
2: I guess my thing is I just – I don't mind them taking the step, even if it's with a CP3 or a, a like star that gets them from 23, 24 wins now or whatever they were on pace for to, to finish this shitty season, to like that low 30s like at some point you got to start just like the incremental build and i know like we we love saying like well, we don't want to make a move unless it's for a bona fide person but like we don't make those moves because we never have anybody on our team or any assets on our team that can get those moves done that's why we don't make those moves like that's how well, and i think
1: it's i think it's worth pointing out too that you know like like yes chris paul would absolutely move us in that right direction but the knicks are not OKC and it's not like adding Chris Paul is suddenly project propelling us into the playoffs, right? Like Chris Paul, Julius Randle, R.J. Mitch—that's like probably a playoff team, you know, assuming Paul doesn't miss too many games. But it's not like it's also going to take us out of, you know, the the pretty good chance of that team still ends up in the lottery somehow, you know, and like with the new lottery odds, it might—it's not it's not the worst thing, you know. We can't just keep tanking to the bottom and assuming that that means you're going to get a top three pick. That's just not how the world works anymore. Um, so it, you know, it, there, there is definitely an argument that it sort of walks that middle ground of moving up the timeline a little bit while still allowing you to be in the asset collecting phase.
0: Yeah. And another underrated part is Chris Paul comes come to New York. He doesn't have to stay the full two years, maybe after one season or even half a season, a contender or new contender comes up or a contender that was involved in him. The first team that comes to mind for me is Miami. So, if Miami can decide to pull the trigger now that Knicks got additional assets for just facilitating a move and now you can move that towards going all in on 2021 like Cade Cunningham is somebody I think you go all in on or you can go for a disgruntled star elsewhere so I think that's an underrated part <clears throat> excuse me of the whole CP3 talk
2: yeah I, I've just I've locked into I think that if we've decided that RJ and Mitch are two of the building blocks that we want moving forward, then you need to figure out a guy that's going to optimize them. And I think there's really nobody else that you're going to be able to sign or draft immediately that's going to probably be able to help those two like a like a Chris probably would. And if you asked me a year ago, like before we had RJ, I still probably never would have wanted to do it. And up until a couple of weeks ago, I didn't. But the way I'm looking now is like the development of those guys, I think, is is something that's more important than we're maybe giving credence to also. Like, because if not, then if we're just drafting for, you know, hoping for a LaMelo or hoping for whoever's next, it it is does start to become detrimental to those guys that you already do have on the roster if they aren't being attended to properly, like we saw with Mitch this season. So it's like at some point you got to make those guys a little bit more of a priority and a focus and get them someone that can, you know, get them there. And I kind of think that's where I've kind of lent to. It's like one part that the, the draft odds never work. And then one part, it's like, you know, this guy actually makes sense like on paper with the guys that we need moving forward. So for me in the context that we're not probably going to sign anybody like that's, I I'm fine with it,
0: but. All right. Um, so kind of transition Would a CP3 trade, make you more open to drafting one of the better players in the draft, USC's Onyeka Akangu. Eli, you profiled him. Would that change your mind on going guard early on? Because that kind of feels like where the Knicks are headed right now. But if they were to land a CP three or maybe another point guard before the draft, does Akangu become almost a can't miss pick at that point?
1: So I, I mean, I think that makes sense for me. Like the the thing with Akangu is he's probably my third. Best prospect on my board uh, right now. I haven't actually sat down and put them all in. I know Kyle is all about tiers instead of ranking, so I would say he's a tier one guy for me. Um, that said, if I, if the Knicks end up with the third pick, I probably wouldn't take him. Uh, I would probably try to get Killian Hayes um, or Lamelo or Anthony Edwards. And if one of those guys aren't there though, then absolutely I like, or if he's somehow available at like six or seven where they're picking. I think just based on opportunity cost, you kind of just have to take him regardless of the fit. So the Chris Paul trade, I think if that happened, that might affect it a little bit. But in the end, when you're drafting that high, I think you've just got to be going best player. And I think if he's anywhere below three, odds are he's the best player in the draft. Now, he does have a weird fit with Mitch. Uh, They're both probably centers. Uh, Okangu shot four threes the entire season, and the only one he made was a three-quarter court heave, so it's not like he's going to be stretching out the floor for Mitch, and you know, we already have a team that struggles desperately for shooting, regardless of whether or not Julius is there, so the fit is definitely weird, uh, but then there's also the question of, you know, Okangu could easily turn out to be... Maybe not easily, but he could definitely turn out to be the better center prospect over Mitch. Like, we just don't know. Mitch is so raw. He has such a high ceiling. But, you know, Akwangu is the real deal. There's reasons he's been getting a lot of the bam out of IO comparisons. He, uh, he's dominant in the post. He's a really good passer, even though the numbers might not. He only average like a little over an assist a game. But you watch him he can really pass the ball. And one reason to be optimistic about how he might fit with Mitch is he played alongside a center for most of the season at USC, uh, Nick Rikosevich, and they developed a really nice like high-low high pick and uh, high-roll dishes where either one of them was catching the ball and dishing it off to the other one. Uh, he, he can make like slip passes and advanced passes out to shooters on the wing that I thought were – way more impressive than I expected, especially for such a young guy who seemed like a little bit more raw coming in. Um, So I think his ceiling is really high. I think there's no way that he's not a very productive NBA player. I think he's almost a surefire NBA starter. Uh, So it really comes down to where he ends up. Now, like my guess is that he ends up in Golden State because that just seems like the perfect fit for him. But yeah, if he's there anywhere, you know, in the top eight, and the Knicks, you know, the main targets are the LaMelo and the Killian. And I don't know who Leon Rose is. I'm praying to God that it's not James Wiseman. Uh, oh God. But if he's there, I think that, you know, at the very least, there are other teams that are going to really want him, right? Like Atlanta could really want him. He makes so much sense with Minnesota. Like that's kind of my dream if he doesn't Ooh, go a to the state. I would that. love him in Minnesota. So I think if, if he's there – Take him. And if you don't want him, trade back. And you can definitely pick up something nice. Like he's definitely one of those guys who I think GMs will really value and value the safety of him, especially in a draft full of people with a lot of question marks.
0: Now, with the BAM comparison, I watched a lot of BAM when he was in Kentucky. He didn't attempt a single three pointer in college, but I mean, he's not a splasher now, but he's competent enough to hit an outside shot. Do you see any? way um, Okongu could kind of follow that path in terms of developing, you know, like a Taj Gibson type range where you can hit from the elbow, maybe down the line and hit from the corner. You think that's possible? Because I think if that is, I kind of like the fit with Mitch a little more than I initially thought. Yeah.
1: I think Taj is a really good place to put that. Like, so I watched a bunch of his games preparing for this profile and I only, the only times I ever saw him shoot were end of shot clock situations. So he does not like shooting and it's definitely not his comfort zone, but he does have a pretty nice touch on it and he's got a quick release. And I think that eventually he'll be pretty consistent from like you know, 16 to 18 feet, whether or not he'll be a three point shooter. I mean, you know, we're living in a, a time when Jared Allen is shooting like 28% and attempting like 103 in a season. Right. So anyone can shoot now. I don't think he'll ever be comfortable as a shooter, but I think that he'll definitely be able to stretch to at least the mid range. And like I said, his passing and his instincts I think are enough that he can sort of mitigate any lack of range that he has by just like picking defenses apart from the high post. I think he'll have no problem with that at the next level in that same way that like, bam, all of a sudden this year exploded for, you know, he's getting like a triple double every other game. And I think – I don't know if Okongu is going to be getting triple-doubles, but, like, he's definitely got that same kind of you can just give him the ball at the free-throw line, you know, send shooters scurrying in all directions, and he's going to make the right decision more often than not.
0: Yeah, that's what appeals to me, smart players, because I think RJ's a smart player. I think Frank's a smart player. That's what the Knicks have been missing because all the veterans that they surrounded those young smart players with have been fucking morons. So (laughs) – Getting Randall out of town, I think, is priority one before we can even think about this, but mm-hmm. it's intriguing, man. I do – I mean, I remember we talked about Slack. <laughs> I forgot what the doomsday was of maybe flipping Mitch – or, you no, know, I'm sorry, it was getting a, a guard and a Kongu. If that was to happen, who do you think would be, like, the best guard to pair with him or, like, prototype to pair with him, you think, right? We're
1: talking about, at, like, with the LA pick at, like, 27?
0: Yeah, it could be the LA pick or it can be, let's say they use that LA pick to trade into the lottery, like the top 14, like a maxi Would Tyrese Maxi be a good fit with him? Or would it be more of like a Cole Anthony maybe? Does the Knicks seem to be hell bent on bringing in a legacy pick?
1: So I like Maxi. I don't think he's like, I don't think he's a pure point guard, whatever that means. You know, there's no real such thing as a pure point guard anymore, but I think you want him alongside a playmaker now. If RJ can be that, then I think that they could have a really nice fit. I think Maxi, honestly, sort of like a Kongwu, will sort of fit in most situations. Uh, my guys that I would be thinking about if you could get a Kongwu and then trade up, you know, into the later draft, uh, later part of the lottery where, you know, Cole and those guys have already gone. I think Kira Lewis is going to be a really good player. I really like him. He can shoot. He can play defense. He's super fast with the ball. Um Tyrell Terry is another guy, and he might be a guy who's actually available at 27. His range seems all over the place right now. And the third guy who I think has been creeping up everyone's lists that I've seen over the last month or two is Grant Riller, who is older. He's like, I think he's 23 already, and he went to, you know, a small school, I think University of Charleston, but that dude can just score from every single spot on the floor. He can shoot at a high level, like off the dribble, off the catch. He's really dangerous at the rim. I think if you could get Riller and a Kongwu and then, you know, hopefully like grab a wing with the Charlotte pick in the second round, I think that would be an incredible draft. I think that you have to be just so happy about that.
0: Damn, I was hoping for Kira at 27. I think that's becoming less and less likely. I think we kind of lucked out with no combine because Kira Lewis is the prototypical combine stud. Because when I watched his tapes, I didn't really watch Bama this year. And I watched, I think the first clip I saw was him dropping Isaac Okoro. I was like, who the fuck is this? And then I started watching highlights. This guy gets up and down the floor, like kind of like John Wall. Not, obviously, not nearly as good, but that gave me John Wall vibes. I was like, this guy's actually going to be pretty good.
1: Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like when I watched him, I thought like this, he's got shades of like a righty Darren Fox, but just coming in with a much more advanced jump shot. Like I don't think he's great at getting to his shot off the dribble yet, but I think his like his catch and shoot numbers and his standstill numbers are good enough that at some point I expect him to be a a pretty solid off the dribble shooter as well. And he's you know, he's it's interesting, there's a lot of point guards in this class that aren't great passers, but are good passers, right? I think Cole Anthony is a pretty underrated passer because he wasn't great this year, but he made some reads that are really interesting and like Before this, in high school, he was actually known as a much better playmaker. Not, it was never his strength. He was always a score first, but he was at least a higher-level playmaker. Um, and I think, you know, R.J. Hampton is the same way. He's not a great passer, but he can make some really interesting reads. And I think Kira Lewis is in that same vein, right? He's going to be looking to score first, but I think he's going to be able to set up teammates I think he can be able to run an offense at a high level eventually but he also might be better you know playing off someone like RJ you know Kira Lewis is one of the few guys with speed and shooting you know a lot of times a point guard comes into the draft it's one or the other and so to get a guy like that would be very cool
0: yeah I and Kira actually turned up this season a sophomore season because he wasn't playing in Avery Johnson's slow plotting offense so hopefully if the Knicks were to get someone like Kira, they would actually speed up because RJ's another one. I think he's dying to get out on the open court. I mean, it's kind of been an evergreen theme lately with the Knicks where they just seem to be better in transition. No brainer. But they keep going in the half court. So that well, wouldn't be- even mid Mitch-
1: like no there's no there's not a big man in the league who can keep up with mitch in the open court yeah like, he needs to get out and run shit
0: mitch is doing pick sixes almost where you yeah. get a couple of those where it's they're they're a good team they're a team that's waiting to get out on the break but you mentioned rj hampton and this is a name i had on my radar before the season and completely forgot about him i know you profiled him a few weeks ago and that's what put me back on him just real quick what like what type of prospect would you put him as like any pro comparisons because we haven't really heard much about him. I thought it would kind of be what LaMelo got in terms of attention, but RJ Barrett's kind of, I mean, RJ Hampton's kind of flew under the radar.
1: Yeah. You know, he's interesting. Like he, he was able to create to like carve out a little role for himself in a pro league, which is impressive. You know, I mean, not everyone can be LaMelo ball and just be orchestrating an offense at 18 playing alongside grown men, but he, he, he carved out a role for himself like his season got cut short after 15 games which along with the fact that he was playing in the nbl definitely made it a little harder to watch him to trace his growth over the year he's he's interesting to me he's sort of one of those guys who seems like he's pretty good at a lot of stuff doesn't really have any i don't think he's coming in with any ready-made nba skill other than maybe he is blindingly fast he's probably the fastest player in the draft or at least in like you know, the lottery. Um,
0: faster than Lewis, I think?
1: I think he's faster than Lewis. He oh. And he's bigger than Lewis. He just, when he takes off, he becomes a blur. Uh, and it's it's really impressive to watch. And he can make passes on the move. He's pretty athletic. He's, you know, there's, if we're talking about highest, highest end outcomes, I could see like shades of like Victor Oladipo, except I think he's a much worse defender. Uh-huh. Where I come down on him, it's, he strikes me as sort of like, the Dante Exum that was promised, right? The Dante Exum that people thought he could be when he came into the league. He's similar size, similar speed, can't really shoot like that. His shot's not broken, but it is ugly. And those misses that he has, like he, I was watching some of his games where he was shooting mid-range sh- jumpers that hit the back, like the the far side of the backboard and nothing else. Like it's, it's rough. Um, but like I said, he's a good passer. He, when engaged is a decent defender, but his, I don't know, he's got terrible technique. He doesn't try a lot. I honestly, he's probably the guy that I'm the most worried about in the lottery. Uh, I just, I don't really see a ton of situations that he's going to thrive in just because of his massive limitations. He's, He's like an okay ball handler, but not a very good one. So at his size and speed, you'd want him to be able to break defenses down off the dribble. And I don't know if he's got the ball handling to do that in the half court. I think he'll be a really good transition player. But uh, he's like, there are a lot of ways I could see him failing is maybe a hard word, but definitely not living up to a high draft profile. I would probably have him at least lower lottery, maybe even like a little lower than that, maybe like early, like 20-ish.
0: Okay. Yeah, kind of where Nico Mannion is. That's another guy who kind of fell off a cliff. And it's not surprising because Hampton, when I saw him, I saw his college state because he was debating whether to go to Memphis or UK before he ended up doing the NBL. And in all his highlights, I was like, all right, this guy can't shoot because he was just doing exactly what you explained. He was just getting to the rim. And in high school, nine times out of ten, these guys are the best athlete on the court. So a lot of his highlights were him just running and dunking and – being very cocky about it. So I did like that part about his game, but if he's bricking shots, I think we already have a brick house with Dennis Smith. So
2: (laughs) Mike said it, not me. (laughs) Eli, I think you missed the pod where I uh, I had a very stern and and solemn uh, monologue apologizing to the good folks and listeners of the TKW podcast uh, for inspiring such belief in Dennis Smith Jr., uh, I apologize.
1: Well, in your defense, there was no way you could have seen, foreseen him forgetting how to play basketball. That that's just, I, you know, I would say that never happens, except for we had just seen it happen.
2: So so you guys actually know, I, I don't take like mega hard stands on things. I think that's something that gets lost in when I'm passionately debating something. I don't have like tons of takes on tons of things that, I, you know, like I don't feel super strong about things, uh, especially for basketball, where like things can change from one day to the next as Dennis Smith Jr. has proven so normally when I plant my flag I feel very confident doing so because I'm like yeah okay you know what I, I finally am going to be right about something like this is I feel good about it <laughs> and uh, for a while that was if the Knicks get Julius Randle it was over because they had Chris Stapps Porzingis and they were going to ying and yang each other and then we finally got Randle but KP was gone so I felt really miserable there uh, and then I thought they're gonna at least start Mitch with him and space them right and then again Didn't go the way I thought. But Dennis, I I felt really safe, man. I felt safe. I was like, he's scoring. He's assistant. It's not the prettiest thing, but he's playmaking. Like, look at him. He's getting up and down the court. It's a fast break. We need fast players. It could work. It could work if if they just leaned into it. And uh, they leaned out of it. And he also leaned out of remembering basketball. So it was very difficult. I've never been so, like, tragically wrong about something is the best way I could word it. Because, like, as soon as the season started... I think we all started to get like the vibes, you know. I think we all knew. And,
0: and I was it, afraid RJ would do the same to me because every bad shooting, I was like, "Fuck!" Now I got to hear Brian and Eli. And bro- when, you know, I was on the other side of it. Once they said he was
2: coming off the bench, and it was a wrap. I was like, "Something's not right here." And then the rest of the season, it just—I mean, I mean, wow! I think, well, I mean, do you guys even have anything comparable? I mean, that is a spec. I mean, the speed at which that aged poorly is just breathtaking. Like, as the words got out of my mouth, it was almost already wrong.
1: I mean, yeah, I've definitely, like, I mean, I remember seeing a tweet early in the season that was about, like, it was something about how you never seen anyone forget, like, their spatial awareness the way that Smith did. And it was, you know, showing him on the break and just kind of, like, losing track of all of his teammates and just having, like, no idea what to do. And that was kind of the most shocking part because, you know, even when Fultz forgot how to shoot, The guy was still out there coming off the bench and, you know, the youngest player to put up a triple-double, like he was still making stuff happen. And Dennis just looked lost out there in such a bizarre way. Like I really – it was like someone – I mean, you know, it's the age of Space Jam too. It's like someone came and just sapped his talent overnight. It was – I've never seen anything like that.
2: Mike, you know what it reminded me of? Remember Chuck Knobloch?
0: I was just about to say that. That's – that's so weird i was literally about to say no the only thing i could think of
2: because i'm sitting here racking my brain and it's like yeah aside from space jump i've never seen somebody just like forget like like it's because like we've seen him do stuff you know like even in dallas when it wasn't pretty right but he was doing stuff like that like there was flashes you could talk yourself into some like you know like we know how it goes with young players like it wasn't perfect, but there was something there, you know, like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll see what the something is like 15 and five is a second year player. Isn't nothing. You know what I mean? Like it isn't, it just isn't like, it wasn't great per se, but it wasn't nothing. So I thought that's something to build off of at least. And then to go total opposite is, but like, like Chuck Knoblock, it's the same thing Throwing to second base. He just from second base, he forgot, just totally forgot. He had the yep. He, he couldn't for the life of him Just, just, that was it. And it's like, I've never seen anything like that before. Especially your point about him on the break. Like, that was his one thing. Like, his one thing that he does well is be on the break and throw incredible lobs or nasty dunks. And then he just, like, he like he just forgot. Like, he,
0: I, I, I don't know. That's why I think it was all it perplexes mental. Me. Because I think he was hurt to start the season. Frank ended up, Frank took noticeable steps. So fans, already like Frank, I feel like Frank has had a cult following. So when Frank played well, then he had the Dennis had the tragedy. I think all of that mixing in, and then they had that first night back, fans chanting "We want Frank." I think that really fucks with people. Yeah, I I think that that that
1: chanting was that That had to have been a huge effect. Yeah,
2: that poor guy.
0: Yeah, that's brutal, man. At least
2: at least give him the chance to like get this. This is the way I looked at it. Like they, and I still feel this way. Like they made that KP trade to start Dennis Smith Jr. In some degree, they did like even if they were doing it for like lip service like i felt like they were going to do that and i think that maybe was the plan but like how quickly they scrapped that plan was what was like alarming because if it was mental and confidence like to me like y- you got to like help your player rebound from that a little bit you know what i mean like y- you still like I mean, no matter which way you want to cut it like you still did trade a significant asset to get that one back. And it's like, if you're not even interested in trying to make that deal look like it worked for you, then what what are you doing? It it just seemed very careless for me. Like, like, I'm not saying the Knicks owed it to him with how bad he was playing, but it just seemed very like a very quick, like, okay, scrap it and sweep it under the rug. Let's just start Alfred and call it a day. But I mean, you can even look at like, like what
1: Philly did that last year before they traded Fultz for, you know, pennies on the dollar for the, the husk of Jonathan Simmons they they were starting him at the beginning of that season even though they had you know huge playoff aspirations and they knew that he did not fit with simmons like i'm not saying that it was a right move obviously like he did not fit with the team and but they were they were trying to get him going they were doing everything they could to say look we're here for you and we're going to keep giving you these reps like i don't know I, i've never seen that kind of support for this team for anyone except for maybe i don't know julius randall
2: can't believe the Randall thing went left quickly, too. That was...
0: I mean, I kind of I kind of went out on a limb and thought he was going to be good, and I still stand by that. I have no idea what happened to Randall. He's another one that has zero spatial recognition. I didn't know because I, I guess in college it's easier to hide because he was kind of just like a young Zebo in well, Kentucky and kind of just went away.
2: But they also, like where he played before, they at least tried to like let him... Like, they knew how to hide it, right? Like, so the Lakers or the Pelicans, they'd have him on the break or as a small ball type of guy. Like, they they knew how to, like, all right, well, if he has deficiencies or weaknesses in certain spots, we'll just kind of lean the other way, you know, and go all offense and let him, you know, control the pace of the game a little bit like the Lakers did. And then after AD went, you know, down and wasn't playing as much as, you know, the same thing he did in New Orleans. But it's like, I I just – I don't understand the Knicks, like – tendency to sign guys or acquire guys somehow and then not use them the way that they've been successful in the past like I, that to me is always what's very strange like all the guys that the Knicks got this season everything pointed to okay well they if they have any chance of success they need to play fast like we, we know all of our players RJ is better on the break Mitch is better on the break Dennis is better on the break even Frank is better on the break when he's pushing the ball in transition and you know it, it's it's always the half court with these guys and it's like well, what is the point of getting all the transition players and then making them play half court? Like even Randall's like, yeah, I mean, he's a big body. He, he can play half court, you know, it's like, but is dumping the ball down to him and letting him face a double team every time. Good basketball. Like what was, I just don't know what the plan was. Like, where's the disconnect here? Cause like, the, like Julius Man, that, isn't a bad player. Like he is a productive NBA player, but like using him in the least productive way of like, what are we doing? Yeah, and I think that you're exactly right. Like, I think that the
1: team saw him being like a decent playmaker on the break, and was like, okay, he can do that in the half court too. So let's just give him the ultimate green light. We'll have the point guard pass it to. Him. I mean, not having a point guard who can really orchestrate your offense, especially for the first like third of the season until Peyton came back, definitely hurt. But it's like they didn't realize that there's a difference between creating on the break when defenses are scrambling and creating from the three-point line against a set defense when you don't have a jump shot to rely on and, you know, have shaky ball, like, are a worse ball handler than you think you are. Like, that just put him, it it basically fed his, like, his worst devils of, like, those instincts that he has to kind of just spin, move into double teams. They're just like, just keep doing that over and over again. Don't worry about it.
2: That's why, like, I I see Randall get a lot of the hate, and it's uh, justifiably for a lot of the way that he was playing. Like, I get it. I'm a fan of his, like, I like the signing. He still had plenty of things that he did wrong this season, but it's like, you know, like how much of that is like, like they, there, there's front office people, right? I mean, there, there's a the coaching step that they watch this stuff. They watch hours of this stuff.
0: I'd say it's 90% on them.
2: But but that, but that's my point is it's like, at what point is it like, and this is, it's not even a Randall thing because like Tim Hardaway Jr., for example, I felt the same way with him. Not so that he was a some great player, but it was more like, well, well, yeah, it's not going to go great when you're trying to force feed Tim Hardaway Jr. as your top option. Like, I always feel like, why, why are these players put in these weird situations, you know? It, that's that's the way I always try to look at it. It's, and then blamed what... for underperforming in them. Yeah, I think
0: that's a... the Steve Mills thing. That's the Steve Mills formula. I really believe that they thought they were getting Durant. Steve Mills fucked it up at some point. And then I feel like they frantically scrambled for like, okay, who can we pivot to? Who can we pivot to? And they landed on Randall because it's the same thing as what you said, Hardaway. It's literally part two of that. And the Hardaway move made less sense than the Randall move because at that time, I don't even think we were expecting a big signing. So no, that, that kind of just ran as a little. Steve Mills. Yeah. I remember it exploded our slide. Rand-
2: Randall was actually fine. Randall to me, was, that was actually even the money he made was a good value deal. I and I still think like teams are going to be interested in him and they are, they have been, and they will be like, you can move Randall. That's why I didn't mind that signing. If it went South, which it kind of has, you know, so that, that to me actually was still a good signing that they did. I don't know what they'll get for him ultimately. And maybe that changes my opinion, but I thought like signing him for about what they did was a good escape route. You know, like best case scenario, it works out. Like you thought it was going to work out. Worst case scenario, still a good young player. Somebody's going to want him, but I did quickly uh, want to touch on something in this pod, uh, just because the last dance is coming up, and Mike had mentioned uh, the term "fucking things up." Um, Charles Oakley evidently is out to fuck things up, and I say this as a, a long-time Charles against Knicks fans defender. Uh, why is he coming at Pat like that, man? Uh, I, I very looked, strange, but very strange. And I will say this, and, and I'm saying this cause it's important. And, uh, I've, I've spoken to Gibberman about this numerous times. It's important to not gloss over the fact that Nick's Tr- Knicks fans shit it all over Patrick Ewing for a while, like did, did not give him the respect that he deserved towards the end. Uh, everybody wants to make it look like it was a rosy and loving relationship the entire time when it was certainly not, uh, not trying to compare the two at all other than in terms of Knicks fans maybe not appreciating a good player when they have them, but it kind of reminded me of like the mellow era stuff where it was like, you know, the fault, the the blame always gets put on the star player even when it shouldn't like even when the team is failing to build around them properly. You know what I mean? It's like, no matter what, it's always going to end up on the star and that ends up hurting how they look around here for whatever reason. So Whatever For whatever reason, I think everybody's come back around on Pat over time. I think Knicks fans have softened on that over the years anyway. But Ewing dropping the quote that he did, basically saying that, you know, Pat was kind of to blame for some of these shortcomings, you know, not being able to pass out of double teams or things like that. It it was just – it was strange. Um, That that one I didn't like. All the other things that he says about the Knicks, I don't care. It's like Dolan stuff or – general mixed dysfunction. I don't care about that. Usually that's very accurate. Uh, I don't like when you go after Patrick Ewing, man. And I say this as a, I was a kid growing up with Pat. So I didn't have time for the Patrick Ewing is underperforming thing. I just knew my team had a uh, all world, all time center that I liked and that helped me get my fandom started. And I always maintained that. And I think a lot of us probably feel that way that are in this age group, but um, it, it just, it stinks. Uh, That's the only thing I'm really going to say about it. I'm not going to go on some weird tirade. Uh, It stinks. Uh, I wish that some of those things – I don't know if you're saying them just to get a reaction. I I don't know what they are, but uh, it it stinks, especially for somebody like Pat who never really had a second star until the tail end there with Spreewell and Houston you could really make the arguments for. But he didn't really have a, a star when he needed one to get past Jordan. He had a bunch of role players, Charles included, that were all high level and, and good players in their own right, but they weren't a star. Uh, I just don't like it. it Sounds it, familiar. It, yeah, it it just really – it bothers me, man. Uh, just – I mean, he was – I don't think people remember how great Patrick Ewing was. Like, I, I I don't need to do the whole rigmarole, but, like, really go look at his stats beyond, like, the he can't get past Michael Jordan thing. Like, re- like really an all-time center, an all-time player in every sense of the word. It's just – it's really disheartening when – you know winning is hard in the nba man it's not, it's not an excuse it, winning is hard in any sport and sometimes the better players never win and that's just how it works and it's you know, unfortunate it's, but this is w- there's always guys that we wish got a ring you know in every sport
0: you know what's the most tragic part for me is Melo needed at his greatest hour of need he needed a guy down low and for ewing it was a guy to knock down a shot and it's, it's just really sad to see because I was too young when those Bulls, Knicks wars were going on. So I didn't know what the reason was. other than Jordan was just the savage, but it looked like if they just had a mellow or even like a, even a Houston, maybe, maybe they beat them once. A Bernard mm-hmm.
2: King is always the Or one. Bernard He's King. Yeah. Mario Chalmers. No, no but the Bernard think, King is always those the game.
0: Yeah. King is yeah, a good I... one.
2: Yeah, I mean,
1: I just like I was watching a couple of those games like the early 90s ones and was just struck by the absolute lack of any guard being able to do anything offensively. Like I went, I'm sure a lot of us did. I went back and watched that uh, the Walt Fraser game seven. Yep. And I was stunned by how much more modern that offense looked. You had people shooting the big men were shooting. Walt was splashing from, you know, pull up jumpers from like 20 feet. And then, like, you know, you go back to the, the 90s Knicks and they're not getting any help from anybody, like, any guard. I mean, yeah, they had good def- good defenders and you had Hubert Davis as, like, your big shooting guard. Like, <laughs> you give that guy, like, Mario Chalmers, someone who to just play defense and make some shots, and I don't, who knows what happens.
2: Yeah, like, and the thing is, it's not like we're shitting. I never want to make it sound like we're shitting, and I feel like that always needs to be said in this pod because everyone's very sensitive when they listen. We're not shitting on the 90s Knicks rest of the cast it's just like it's very, like you guys watched it the older listener like you know what we're talking about good players there's nothing wrong with it but like you know when like a team doesn't have that next gear in the playoffs the deeper it gets because like they don't have that second star it's like it, it gets harder each round to win with just one dude you know what i mean and it's like that's how i felt it wasn't like the shit on them they were obviously a great team obviously it's just they they could have been an even better team a championship team had they just gotten somebody next to Pat is the argument. Like, that's that's always how this goes. It, it takes multiple guys at that level to win. Like, Michael Jordan, as great as he is, Scottie Pippen, another all-time great player. Not just a, a star player at the time, an all-time great player. It You need greatness to help you win. It's just, it is what it is.
0: Yeah, it's just, like, I just, it's just really crazy to see the parallels between Ewing and Mello supporting cast. You have, I mean, Starks to JR, and then, Oakley, I guess you can compare to Tyson, but it's it's eerie how history kind of repeats itself without us well out me knowing at least. That may, other people may have put those pieces together a lot sooner, but I didn't.
2: Yeah, I've seen the I've seen the what if with Bernard King, and I actually think that's a pretty good one. Um you know, that's that's that if any if there's a what if that gets me for the Knicks, I think that's the one that gets me. That and what the happened Bargani exactly?
0: Period. Why didn't it work out or did he get hurt or something? I know he was starting to go off around that time. I don't really I'll be honest, I never really with, who, with up Bernard thinking. King? Yeah, why Oh yeah. So he what was
1: happened? uh he was recovering from I think his ACL tear that first rookie year from Pat and then he came back and I think I'm pretty sure he only played like a handful of games that next season, but he had just like the year before Pat was drafted, I'm pretty sure, he led the league in scoring you know he was at his absolute peak then mm. and yeah that is a tragic the, the fact that they overlapped for such a short period of time it yeah that's devastating
2: and just if you ever wanted bernard king's thoughts on it uh he's very clear about how he would have felt with playing with patrick Ewing, and i love reading this quote and it's sorry oh sorry it was ewing saying to alonzo morning and he said uh if b bernard king and i played together we would have kicked your butt basically like they they both of those guys are like very confident about had they played together like it would have gone really well but you know yeah
0: i I remember saying that i think he said that when uh when they played the magic right i I forgot it was when Mello first got there he's like yeah mari finally has a mellow i never had one so that was pretty sad.
2: Mm. yeah i mean i i mostly just feel bad for pat because it feels like every time they ask him about this stuff you can see like the sadness in his eyes. I'm not even trying to make fun of him either. Like you, you could see like it would have meant a lot to him, you know. Like that every time I see him, you could like I, I feel it. I feel like well, and even
1: the fact that he's like refusing to to respond to these Oakley comments, other than you know just saying I did the best I could with what I had. Like he taking that high road, I, it meant a lot to him, and I know that not being able to get past that hump has probably eaten at him since then.
2: I think, I think the worst part that I feel for him is I feel like no amount of love now is going to matter, you know? Like, I feel like, yeah. I feel like it was supposed to be in the moment and when it wasn't. He, like, he's one of those guys where it's like, well, now it, does, it doesn't feel right, you know? I don't know. Like, every time I see it, just feels like, it just feel, I don't know. It just feels off still. It still feels, like, fractured. I, just, I just wish it wasn't is the best way to put it. I feel like every time Pat comes up, it's like a weird subject for no reason. The team day. never
0: really did a good job to improve that they never interviewed him for a head coaching position even though he was definitely qualified enough to get an interview I mean we see the quacks they hired since D'Antoni so it's not like they were hiring um Red Auerbach so I don't know what was going on with them that they couldn't at least give the guy an interview or just you know just show love and that's kind of brings us back to why Oakley's so bitter they just don't show love they don't Bernard King's thirty should be retired. Ewing should have got an interview. Oakley should have never been thrown out in his ass like a drunk idiot. Like, that's just not how you treat your players. I think that's why Oakley attacked Ewing, and I'm happy Ewing kind of had like a Jay-Z. In Monday Musings, I compared it to uh, Jay-Z and Dame Dash falling out where Dame Dash is just lashing out at any and everything associated with Jay-Z. And, you know, it's... It's just anger. I feel more than anything. I don't think it's. I think in a few years we're gonna see Oakley come out and say, oh, "Maybe what I said was a little over the line," type of thing.
2: Uh, last, last thing to awkwardly transition before we put a bow on this. Uh, I have a Damien Dotson two K league update for you guys. Uh, so I did not, I did not win the Damien Dotson two K league. That's over already. Uh, and I know you guys are probably uh, very upset
1: yeah devastating i had big money on
2: you yeah uh most likely disappointed uh angry if you're eli uh all understandable (laughs) i I get it um i'd like to explain myself i got the 22nd overall pick out of 30 i was the philadelphia 76ers we uh rebranded to the iverson era sixers it was a strong move i felt good about it uh when i got to the 22nd overall pick there was only 87 overalls and under left so slim pickets uh I started off with Donovan Mitchell. I thought that was highest upside shooting guard left. I needed a perimeter player. Picked again pretty quickly. I got bam. I felt pretty good about it. I ended up getting Brandon Clark. I ended up getting uh Lou Will. I ended up I mean, it, it was a good team. I had Jeremy Lamb. I mean good, not great, you know. Uh got blown out my first three games. Uh it was it was pretty rough. Played dots in game four. Played him close. He had Booker and Drummond, he's the Miami Heat lost in a close one, single digits, single digits, uh, did not get blown out. Then I started to win some games. but It was too late. Um, so, I mean, it was a 14 game season, you know, we we played them over the course of like a week and a half. It was just, uh, it was a grind, man. It was a grind. Would you say you made a classic Knicks fake comeback? I did actually. I was very early fourth quarter Knicks. Um, I was, (laughs) I, I was moving and grooving, man. I'm telling you, I, after that, I think I I went on to win like five of my next seven or something. Like it was good. I had a nice little stretch, and then I lost my last two when the playoffs were on the line. Uh, I had to basically win out. It was very very difficult after getting blown out that many times. But
0: it is what it is. Uh,
2: you know, you live and you learn. Did
0: you, did you wear those uh the blue Sixers jerseys from that era? Because that's probably my favorite alternate jersey of all time.
2: Um. So I okay. So there was fourteen games, right? Uh, Weirdly, you don't play everyone that's in your like so there was thirty teams, but you played fourteen games, so not everyone plays everyone. You just play conference? I had a weird amount of home games. Like I was almost always home, it felt like. I I played like three away games. I played like no away games. And when I did, I I wore the black uniforms. But I I had like I don't know. Like normally you have a bunch of road games and you experiment with the alternates, but I, I didn't really now that I think about it, I was Always at home
0: on my beautiful Sixers court. That's such a great court, man. I missed that. That was probably my favorite uh, Philly Philly uh, uniform. Because Philadelphia usually has garbage uniforms across all sports.
2: This is a fair take.
0: But um, but uh, all right, yeah. So I think that's a good bow. Uh, Eli, you got anything to plug before you do? Uh, make sure you follow Eli on Twitter. It's T Half Court Press. T half court press. So make sure you want to follow on Twitter. Always good conversations going on. So uh, Eli, you got anything coming up that we should be on the lookout for?
1: Nah, just read the, a profile. If you want to go back and read the uh, uh, RJ Hampton one, that's there too. Um, And now I'm just going to, you know, kind of try to dive a little bit more into some of the, some of the lower ranked guards coming up. I think I'm going to try to do a piece on that in the next few weeks, kind of looking at Nico Mannion, Grant Riller, Tyrell, Terry, Uh, Devin Dotson all these guys who are sort of generally considered like lower than 20 Um, because I think that there's a lot of guys there that have some really interesting potential at the next level and we all know the Knicks desperately need any kind of playmaking shot making pulse signs of life from the point guard position so I'm gonna be looking at how some of them stack up and why like some of the bigger names like Mannion might actually be kind of lower for me than others. Like, I don't know if I have Mannion even, I'd have him like fringe first round, like early, early second. Um, so yeah, so that's what I'm going to be looking at going forward.
0: Excellent. I can't, I really want to learn about Riller. So I will personally be looking out for that and everybody else should too. Uh, Kyle, anything to plug?
2: Um, Just stay tuned on the uh, whistle front. Um, We got some, Stuff cooking as uh, as usual, but um, I got something that may or may not be up our own listeners' alley. Uh, I can't really specify anything yet, but I'm trying to cook something up there. Um, hopefully, we'll have more details soon. So stay tuned for that. Uh, make sure you guys have been going to Knicksflix, uh Just checking that out because that's still a, an excellent resource. Um, if you haven't, make sure checking the com every day. Obviously. Um, but aside from that, follow my whistle pod. Uh, you know, I don't like doing tons of promo, but uh, follow the the whistle pod three to the dome. Um, I'm having uh, one of my good internet friends on right after this, actually, Alex Kungu, who's going to have uh, a little bullying discussion about the, uh, the MJ thing. So if you guys want to tune into that, subscribe, uh, come pop over there for more broad, uh, not just NBA, but Hoops Talks. We do a little WNBA, a little college. So uh, if it's basketball, we're covering it there. So. Uh, but looking forward to that, uh, I don't know if you guys had thoughts on the bullying thing, but uh I thought what m j did was uh not terrible
0: it's- yeah, and I think his quote summarized the best, and people took it the wrong way, where it's like you haven't won anything. you see i mean i'm not I've never achieved anything close to Michael Jordan, but I understand where he's coming from just because I've heard that from everyone else, even Tom Brady's like that, and he's a nice guy off the court, so off the field in his case. So I feel like people are just, it's not, they're not in the foxhole, so they can't relate. Those people that are against it, rather.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I get the, I get some of the more like physical altercation points and, you know, not saying he was perfect by any means, but uh, I think there's a larger basketball culture point that's missed when people want you to do think pieces and things like that. Uh, and look a little bit deeper than it it really is. Um the only thing I'll extra I'll say is, you know, I, I grew up in environments like that for basketball exactly. where it's like where it's like you could say like everyone's getting mad, like, oh if I got called a hoe, if I got called this, then you didn't play basketball. Like Yeah, you for, didn't play like, with your friends. You didn't you play friends. you didn't play on practice where guys liked you or you liked that. You know what I mean? Like I played on lots of teams where I got caught lots, you know, lots of things. I've played with lots of guys, just pick up where I've gotten called lots of things or, you know, this is what happens. This is what happens when you play. with. And these are people I didn't hate. You know what I mean? These are people that like you say these things too, or you get in a little argument to. And after the run ends or practice ends, you're fine. Like, I, I think people overlook kind of the basketball culture aspect of it. And I think a lot of people who've played, it's not like a, oh, you heard you played basketball. don't understand. It, no, it's, more of, it's more of like it's more of like the camaraderie, like the lock Every sport has a different kind of culture to it with those teams and the team building and the dynamics that go on behind closed doors. I think you'd be surprised if they did a hard knocks and, and did NBA practices and camps, what you guys would actually be hearing. Like we only get snippets. You forget of like little things here and there of like what Kobe said at practice or Jordan said at practice, you guys were heard all of these guys are saying at practices. I promise you, you totally different, totally different. It's really not that serious. We, We swear a lot in this country and we don't always mean some, exact nasty connotation behind it like it's it's not always like bullying in the sense of bullying like he actually means he's a hoe he hates him he like sometimes you just say things like off the cuff and i'm not defending the w- usage of certain words especially not in the 90s but you know what i mean like i just think uh, it's it's much to do about nothing
0: real i, I think mean, it's going
1: go ahead, no, go ahead. Uh, just gonna say, it's important to remember i think that there's no such thing as a universal formula that works right like so yes tim duncan dirk they led their teams their way. It was very different from the Kobe MJ way and that worked for them. And like, while I personally don't think I would respond great to the MJ style of leadership. Like that is the way that worked for him. And that is probably the only way that would have worked for him. And at least the only way that it would have worked to get him to where he needed to be and to get his team where they needed to be. So people just kind of want to make it this like this universal thing about, yeah, you know, I think we did this with, uh, with the Tom Izzo a few years ago. Uh, when he was yelling at that player, like, certain things work for certain people. And, you know, in the end, the NBA is, in a, is a results-driven league. And this is how MJ could become MJ. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be
2: that much deeper than that. And also and also, the thing is, you don't have to like it. Like, people are, are like Eli said, waiting for, like, the universal thing. The, the universal thing is so everybody feels good about it. You don't. That that's not the world we live in. That never happens. So there is no there is no one way. You'll never feel good about it entirely. Like this is this is just part of it's just part of it. It's part of the journey. It's part of the growth. Like it's just very frustrating. Like you'll never get anybody to conform to the one single way of winning or leading or contending or any of that. There are just so many ways. It's it's very silly to be like, well, no, Dirk won, so he didn't have to do it that way. Well, okay. people are forgetting. Well, well, he didn't, and he won six rings. So it's like, what do you
0: like? You know, it's, it's a very silly banter, is my point. Well, what people forget about Dirk and Duncan, they may have been the mild manner guys, but look at the coach. Mm-hmm. MJ was the opposite. So Greg Popovich was the hard-ass of San Antonio. Rick Carlisle is not some sunny guy down in Dallas. So those were the guys pushing everyone else. MJ's case, it was the opposite. Phil Jackson and same thing with Kobe, where they were the mild... The coaches were the mild-mannered Phil Jackson. And then you had Kobe and MJ pushing them. So... I think it's overblown what really, I mean, I'm happy that I'm kind of sad they left out of the documentary. If people really want to get riled up, see what MJ did to Muggsy bows. That's something that might blow up Twitter because people don't really know that story much. Look it up. Thank me later.
2: All right. So on that note, put a bow on it, but make sure you are following and subscribed uh, to the TKW podcast, following the next wall, of course. And uh, just, you know hang with us through this uh pandemic this coronavirus we're all going to try to get through it we're still potting we're still trying to get you guys that content but uh if you have any burning takes or questions or things you might want to see on the show always throw us you know throw that our way and i uh, be happy to talk back but um until
0: next week then guys yeah, take it easy all
2: right, all right thanks for having take me easy. on
0: guys anytime bro come on anytime you want for sure